Take your Bibles out, if you would, Mark chapter 5 within God's Word. If you need a study guide, just lift up your hand. If you'd like to fill in the blanks, if you'd like to have my notes this morning to uh, remember the Word, just lift up your hand, and an usher will get that to you speedily. How about this praise team? Can you give them a hand this morning? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Talking about missionaries and missions. A missionary was sitting in her balcony, looking out upon the streets that God had called her to. She was opening up an envelope, uh, a beautiful letter sent to her by one of her supporters. In there, there was a $10 bill, a token of love, a token of encouragement. And, And she saw, though, as she opened up that letter, she saw a man standing below on the street, shabbily dressed, hunched over, having all of the appearance of the spirit of despair. She felt quickened in her heart. She wrote a quick note, just two words, don't despair. Don't despair. She clipped the $10 bill to it, and she dropped it over her balcony on the street below. He picked it up, read the note, don't despair, looked at her, and waved. Next day, knock at her door. Here's the same guy. Here's the same man. And... He's got a whole wad of bills that he's shoving into her hand. She said, what is this for? He said, what do you mean, what's this for? Don't despair. Got five to one. Here's your 60 bucks you made. Your horse won. Don't despair. (laughs) The person that didn't get that one, just lean over and tell him. (laughs) Ryan, I'm good. (laughs) Amen. Don't despair. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus was wanting to tell a father in Mark chapter 5. Jairus, Jairus, a daddy, a father, in Mark chapter 5, met Jesus down at the dock. And there we can imagine Jairus nervously waiting for the boat to be be anchored and tied in. And, And Jairus is saying, Jesus, Jesus, please come and lay your hands upon my sick daughter. She's about to die. Jesus, help me. Jesus said, I'll go with you. But on the way, something happened to this father that's happened to many of us. Some of you are dealing with this right now. Read with me in John or Mark 5, 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, And listen to the word that comes from the pit of hell. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? This is what the spirit of the world, the spirit of hell says. It's dead. She's dead. But what does Jesus say? What do we hear from heaven? Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. 
Do you know the deadly voice of despair? Have you heard it? Your finances are dead. Your education is dead. If you'd only been a better parent, your child wouldn't be so messed up. But now they're lost. They're lost. You'll never be able to get your head above water again. It's, it's over. Oh, you heard what the doctor said. You'll never recover. You'll be sick the rest of your life. You're looking at an early grave. If you hadn't sinned so bad 11 years ago, if you hadn't failed God so bad, He'd hear your prayers. You'd enjoy His prosperity. But now you're going to pay and pay and pay. Have you ever heard the voice of despair as it whispers its hellish note into your life? Despair's whisper comes with three lies. Mark it down in your mental notepad. Despair is always personal. As we ask, Lord, why me? Despair is always pervasive. As we think, this one thing, this one thing will mess up my whole life. Despair is always permanent. Real despair says, it's never going to get any better. My best days are behind me. Despair. It'll fill your face with wrinkles. Despair. It's the author of many major illnesses. Despair. It has sent millions of Christians to an early grave long before their appointed time. People who believed in the Prince of Peace. Despair. It's a cancer to our relationships. It'll poison your marriage. It'll ruin your family. Despair will keep you from victory. It'll keep you from blessing. It'll keep you from divine favor. Despair can even keep you out of heaven. Does God have a word for us in desperate times? Does God have a word for us in an hour of despair? Oh, yes, He does. And here's the word this morning. Let hope arise. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak into our spirit this morning. In your name we pray it. Amen and amen. Mark it down with me if you would. Hope can mean the difference between life and death. Marcus Tullius Cicero, that great Roman orator, he is quoted as saying, while there's life, there's hope. While there's life, if you can put that on the screen, please. While there's life, there's hope. But in his book, Winning Life's Toughest Challenges, psychologist Julius Siegel wrote about the 25,000 American prisoner of war soldiers that we had in the Japanese camps during World War II. Have you ever studied how inhumane the Japanese were back then to our soldiers in the prisoner of war camps? Starvation, disease, deprivation, dehumanization, torture, terrible conditions. And hundreds, thousands died. But conversely, 
thousands survived. Researchers wanted to find out why. Because the health of each man was equitable. There was really no difference. Same environment, same conditions, basically the same health. Why was it that some lived and some died? And they found the answer. Those that lived, those that survived, in fact, ended up going home and joining their families were men that constantly talked about the kind of jobs that they would have when they returned home. They, they talked about the kind of houses that they would build, the cars that they would drive. They would even draw pictures of their dreams on the walls in the POW camp. They would talk about the kind of wife that they wanted to marry and be the mother of their children. What was the difference? Those that lived had hope. So the psychologist ascertained this final summation. It's not while there's life, there's hope. Here's the key. While there's hope, there's life. Do you see that? The power of hope, just in the natural. Just natural hope. It's a driving force. It's a driving force for, for life. It is said that you can live 40 days without food, 8 days without water, 4 minutes without air, but you cannot truly live one moment, one moment, one moment without real spiritual hope. Real hope. Real hope is different from natural hope. Real hope is the hope the Bible speaks of. The Bible reveals, write it down, what real hope is and where it can be found. See, there's a difference between the world's idea of hope and real hope. Real hope is more than optimism. Real hope is more than a positive mental attitude. Real hope is more than, uh, you know, Star Wars force. Luke, Luke. Real hope is more than wishful thinking. It's more than mind over matter. Real hope can't be found in prosperity, prestige, or politicians. So, where, what is hope? Where do you find it? Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Hope is not something. Hope is someone, and His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. Give Him praise and glory. Our real hope is in Jesus. Jesus. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. Oh, mark it, if you will, with me. Hope is the certainty in the present that God will be faithful. God will be faithful. The best definition of hope is found in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is being sure, sure, of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, real hope is the engine of faith. Hope starts out before you know how it's going to turn out. Before you know how it's going to turn out. Hope is faith when it's future directed. Hope is being certain 
that God's word and God's will will come to pass. Hope is a periscope letting you see over present difficulties to God's glorious horizon. You show me a Christian walking and living by God's hope, and I'll show you somebody who goes fishing for Moby Dick and always brings along a camera and the tartar sauce. I'm talking about real hope. Real hope. Real hope, mark it down, is believing God wants good things, good things to happen to you. God wants good things to happen to you. Remember, faith has to do with the unseen world. Faith has to do with the unseen world. Do you believe in microwaves? Do you believe in sound waves? Do you believe that China exists? How many have ever actually seen microwaves, sound waves, yet you believe? You've actually seen them. <laughs> Come in for counseling tomorrow morning, Teresa. Okay. <laughs> okay. How many, how many have never been to China? Okay. Okay. Do you believe in China? You haven't seen it, yet you believe it. That's my point. Real, real biblical hope subscribes to the principle, the truth, that if I can believe it, I will see it. The world is diametrically opposite. The world says, since we have we're, the, the scientific view that pervades everything, we will not believe it until we see it. Yet we believe things all the time that we do not see. You've heard me joke about when was the last time you got on a plane and, and, and had an interview with the pilot to make sure he has the right credentials and that it's safe enough for you to fly. When was the last time you went to a restaurant and sent the food out to a laboratory to be tested to see if it was okay for you to eat? When was the last time you stopped at an intersection that before you went through the green light, you wanted to make sure that the person was sane, sober, in their right mind, so that you could safely go through that green light? But no, you go through the green light, you eat the food, and you fly the plane on sheer what? Faith or hope that everything's going to be all right. Sure. Biblical hope says, if God be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me can prosper. The Bible says, the enemy shall come in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. The Bible says, this battle is not mine. It is the Lord's. The Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of our God. The Bible says, greater is he that's within me than he that's within this world. The Bible says, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's hope. That's hope. That's walking with a living hope in the name of Jesus. Hey, do you see things getting better in your life? Or are you just floating along? Huh? Are you just floating along? Any dead fish can float with the current. Did you just react? Are you putting out fires all the time? You're just reactive instead of proactive. 
The believer who walks by a living hope is proactive. They get up every morning and they say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. The person that is walking with doubt, discouragement, disappointment, and despair, they wake up every morning and go, good God, it's morning. The believer walking with a living hope says, good morning, Lord. See the difference? You see the difference? Living with expectation that God is going to send good things into your life. That, that God is going to heal you. God is going to deliver me. God's going to provide for me. Somehow, someway, God's going to show up. And I can't wait. Hallelujah. It's exciting. It's the adventure of faith. It's the adventure of hope. Amen. Honey, stop limiting God. Dream bigger. Dream better. Live with high expectations. If you want to take the route of uh, looking at your smartphone right now and laughing with your friend right next to you instead of watching Pastor Phil as he's trying to preach to your heart and save your soul and send you to heaven, go ahead. But I'm going to live with high expectation. I'm going to live with a living hope. I'm going to walk into glory shouting, Hallelujah! <laughs> I always said God's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Amen! Amen! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord. Yes. Mark chapter 5 shares the account. This same chapter shares the account of the woman that the King James Version says has the issue of blood. She had a constant bleeding problem, a hemorrhaging problem. In that day and time, under the Mosaic Law, if you had a bleeding problem, uh, then you were not only declared sick, you were declared defiled. Being defiled, being declared unclean, you were quarantined from family and friends. You were quarantined also from the house of God. You were quarantined from the presence of God. This woman's situation was nightmarish. And yet, in Mark chapter 5, a powerful spiritual truth jumps out of the pages to you and I when it comes to hope. She's sitting in her house, and the Bible says that she says this, If I can but touch the hem of the garment of Jesus of Nazareth, I will be made whole. She conceived it. She birthed it in her spirit before she realized it in the flesh. That tells me that real miracles, that real, real healing is conceived in the Spirit before it's revealed and manifest, manifested in the flesh. In other words, hope, real hope is conceiving God's best for your life. God wants good things to happen to you. God wants good things to come your way. You try finding another scripture. You try finding a passage. You try finding a verse that says that God wants bad things to come our way. No! Over and over and over again. 
God declares, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. Hallelujah. If you can conceive it, you can believe it and then receive it. And the woman, the Bible says, she crawled out on her hands and knees. She wormed her way through the crowd. She lunged out this weak woman and she touched the hem of his garment and Jesus whipped around because the Bible says, check me out, he felt power released from his person. And he said, who touched Peter, the Bible says, Peter looked at him like he'd lost his mind. Because he was in a crowded street. People are rubbing shoulders with him. Just like they come to church. They just rub shoulders with Jesus. They just don't really touch him. Who touched me? Peter said, there's all kinds of people touching you, Master. What do you mean? Who he turned around and said, who really? Because one touched him with an active faith. One touched him with hope. She had conceived it. Now hope is receiving it. And she's shaking there. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Peace. What are you conceiving? What seeds are you planting in your spirit on a day by day? What are you thinking? What are you saying? What are you confessing? What are you conceiving? No wonder you're receiving what you're conceiving. You're receiving what you're conceiving. If it's in the negative, you will reap what you sow. If it's in the positive, you will reap what you sow. We'll talk about that principle again later. The reason, write it down, many often miss out on receiving God's best for their lives is because they're not conceiving God's best for themselves. John 10.10 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. Now get a hold of this, Christian. A lot of us are walking around with life. Check if the person next to you is alive right now. Okay? Okay, real good, real good. But that's not the issue. That's not the issue. Pastor, I've been married to him for 33 years. Dead from the neck up. No, no. Don't go there. Don't go there. Jesus said more than just life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Are you enjoying abundant life? Pastor, I believe that's for some people, but that's not for me. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough education. I had the wrong upbringing. I don't have enough resources. I don't have the ability. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for your availability. Hero after hero in the Bible. Check me out. Hero after hero in the Bible. You'll find that when God first encountered them, they were loaded with excuses why God couldn't use them. In fact, how many chapters are spent on Moses' excuses at the burning bush? Anybody know? Two whole chapters. Moses keeps saying, but God, but God, 
But God, you someone else. But God, I can't talk. But God, I can't do it. But God, I've often thought about preaching a message. But God, everybody's got a but. But God, but my wife won't let me preach it. But God. God says, what's in your hand? Moses said, a stick. With that stick, that staff, read the story. Moses humbled the greatest empire on the planet, the Egyptian empire. With that staff, he stretched it across the Red Sea. And he made a way where there seemed to be no way as God performed the miraculous and God's people walked across on dry ground. With that staff, manna was brought from the heavens, fire from the sky. The enemies were vanquished and God brought the miraculous. What has God put in your hand? What has God put in your life? conceive <laughs> that it's for the good, for the, 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 the glory of God. Uh, Lord, I'm going to give it all over to you. Lord, little with you becomes much. Pastor Jesus had more than there are here this morning. Pastor Jesus had 5,000 people to feed. All men. Ever go into a room with 5,000 men that are hungry? Man, you don't want to get in their way in the buffet line. But there, there, there was no food. Plus, they had their wives, their children. There could have been 20,000 people there. And, and, and Pastor Jesus says to his pastoral associates, you feed them. They look back at Jesus. It's impossible. This is crazy. Send them away. But one little boy, boy, oh, like this. What did God put in his hand? He didn't have money. But he did have his lunch. He said, Jesus, you can have my lunch when you take your little and put it in God's hands and believe that with him all things are possible. Honey, sir, ma'am, Without Him, you can do nothing, but with Him, all things are possible. Jesus began breaking that bread. He began parting that fish, and it fed the whole multitude, and there were 12 basketfuls left over because Jesus has come that we might have life and more abundantly. Your cup running over. That's the kind of God that we serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you expecting good things to come your way? Are you conceiving this? Amen. You know, like Jairus, you might be tempted to think, God, I don't see how you're going to do it. But Jesus says in Luke 18, 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. If you'll choose, if you'll choose to conceive and see the invisible, God will allow you to experience the impossible. Three guys. Three guys, Bob, Larry, and Bill, all died in a car crash, went to heaven. Now, you've got to help me with the three names because I easily forget the names. So repeat the three names with me, Bob, Larry, and Bill, because I'll be asking you. First guy, Bob. Second guy, 
And third? Thank you. Okay, we can get through this. They get to heaven. St. Pete. St. Pete says, welcome, guys. We got one rule here. What's the rule, St. Pete? St. Pete says, now, kids, this is not in the Bible. This is a joke. St. Pete says, don't step on the ducks. Don't step on the ducks. And sure enough, hundreds, thousands, yea, millions of ducks are out. I should have used Bambis since I see all these Bambi widows here this morning. Ducks everywhere. These three guys, what was the first name? Bob. These three guys do great. Bob, he, he, he is being real careful, but wouldn't you know it, three hours later, he steps on a duck. Poof! He is instantly chained to the most ugly, nightmarish, grotesque woman that you can imagine. She's ten feet tall. She is covered from head to toe with ugly, scraggly hair. She's got fangs coming out of her mouth. She's been hit with an ugly stick. And he has to be chained to her throughout all eternity. The next guy, what was his name? Larry, thank you. Larry, I mean, he, he makes it for 12 hours, steps on a duck, poof. He's chained to what? An ugly, nightmarish, grotesque, horrendous-looking woman. She's two feet tall. Warts all over. Foaming at the mouth. Looks like she's been hit with an ugly stick. Chained to her throughout all eternity. I don't want any of the two-foot or the ten-foot women, please, sending me any letters this week. It's a joke. It's a joke. The last guy, what was his name? Bill. For those that were listening, Bill. 32 hours. He hasn't stepped on a duck. 32 hours. He's just doing great. Hasn't stepped on one bird. All of a sudden, poof. He's chained. Pete, I haven't stepped on a duck. But then he looks at who he's chained to. A drop-dead gorgeous supermodel, Sam. I mean, just gorgeous. And he's grinning from ear to ear, and, but he's dumbfounded. He's puzzled. Uh, he said, how could this happen? And she looked at him and said, I stepped on a duck. I stepped on a duck. Mark it down. Mark it down. Has a hope robber chained itself to your life? Has a hope robber chained itself to your life? Remember, hope. Hope is a choice. It's a choice. Proverbs 13.12 Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Perhaps there seems to be no answer, no way out in your situation right now. 
Perhaps I'm speaking to a soul right now that's consumed with worry. You've even had thoughts like the best days are behind you. It's never going to get any better than this. I, I wish I'd never been born. In the name of Jesus, stop that right now. Stop that thinking. Stop that talking. Stop listening to the devil's despair and start filling your heart with the words of hope, the Lord's living hope. The greatest battleground today is not the Middle East. It's in your mind and my mind. Paul the Apostle said in Colossians 3.2, set your mind, your minds, your minds on the things which are above. It's amazing. It's incredible how much is spoken of in God's Word on our minds. This is the battleground. Set your mind on the fact that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Set your mind on the aspect all things are under His feet. Set your mind on that promise that on that day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Set your mind on what the Bible says that all authority has been given in heaven and earth to the Son of God, Christ Jesus. Set your mind that He's in control. And whatever happens in life, God is in control. God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. God is going to allow good things to ultimately come to you. Amen. Hope is a choice. Write it down. Real hope never quits believing, expecting, or praying for a miracle. I counsel and minister with people all the time that have quit believing. They've quit praying. They quit expecting a miracle. They've given up. They've given up. They're much like Thomas. Thomas, who we usually call what? what? What kind of education did Thomas have? I've been blessed with a great education. A BA, a master's, and a doctorate. But I never had an education like Thomas. There's no minister of the gospel that's had an education like Thomas. What are you talking about, Pastor? Thomas went to Jesus University. Thomas was there when the lame walked and the blind <laughs> could see. And their ears were open. The deaf could hear. The mute could speak. Thomas was there when the lepers were cleansed. The demons came out screaming. As Jesus just spoke a word and the demons had to obey. Thomas was there when the dead were raised back to life. Thomas saw Jesus walk on the water. Thomas saw Jesus multiply the loaves and the fishes. Not once, but twice. Thomas was there in the boat when the storm was raging. And Jesus just spoke a word and said, Peace, be still. And the storm stopped. Thomas was there. Thomas was there time and time again when Jesus said, I will be betrayed, given over to the religious leaders, crucified by the Romans, and on the third day I will rise again. Check me out. Jesus repeated that over and over and over again at Jesus University in his classes to the disciples. So, on the third day after the resurrection, where's Thomas? Where are the disciples? 
The disciples are at church. The disciples are at a Sunday night service in the upper room. But Thomas is not there when Jesus shows up. If you were to meet Thomas out in the streets, we'd say, Thomas, why weren't you there in church? Why weren't you there in the upper room with the rest of the disciples? Don't you know? He's dead. The cause is gone. It's useless. It's futile. It's empty. It's hopeless. It's all over. It's dead. He's dead. Behind that stone, it's as dead as his dead body is. But don't you know, Thomas? And this is what the disciples told Thomas. Jesus is alive. We have seen him. But what did Thomas say? Unless I can place my fingers in the prince in his hand, the prince, nail prints in his feet, place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Again, operating by the world's mindset. I'll believe it when I see it. It's no wonder we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. But that week, something changed. I can't wait to get to heaven to find out what changed. Because the next Sunday night service, where's Thomas? He's there in the upper room. And who shows up? Who always shows up where the people of God gather? Huh? Who the, that's why you need to be faithful to church. Amen. What would you think of your refrigerator if it was only faithful half the time? What would you think of your car if it was only faithful half the time? What do you think God thinks of some of us that are just faithful half the time to church? Oh, that's another sermon. Bunny trail. Thomas is at that Sunday night service. And Jesus shows up. Jesus says, Thomas, place your fingers and the nail prints, your hand in my side. I don't know if Thomas did. We don't have any evidence if he did or not. But we do have this. You can read it there in the Gospel of John. Thomas fell to his knees and he said, My Lord and my God! And worshipped Jesus. Thomas gave the most profound worship title than any of the apostles up to that point. He was the first. Thomas moved from doubt and hopelessness and moved into a living hope. Jesus said, Thomas, you have believed because you see. But blessed are those, that includes you and I, that have never seen, yet believe. Let, but yet believe. Don't stop expecting your miracle. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop hoping. Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. For if you faint not, you will reap in due season. Well, pastor, I've reached the end of my rope. Then put a knot in it. And hang on, because somehow, someway, God's going to come through. Amen? There it is. Hallelujah. Keep hoping. Keep hoping. Keep hoping. Write it down. Real hope expects God's favor and not failure. 
Real hope expects God's favor and not failure. Have you failed at something? Did you blow a class? Did you fail miserably, morally, spiritually? Did you fall into sin? Do you feel like a loser? Instead of a somebody, you feel like a nobody? In the name of Jesus, don't allow your failure to become your identity. Don't allow your setback to become your personhood. Learn from it. Shake off the dust. Stop living in the rearview mirror of life and press forward to the high prize of God in Christ Jesus. Most importantly, confess your identity in Jesus Christ. Stop worrying about what, what people see in you. Stop worrying about what your performance sees in you. Stop worrying about what your past sees in you. Start focusing on what God sees in you. What does God see when He looks at you, Christian? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. God sees you as His special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Move into how God sees you. Move into what God says about you. This is walking and living with a victorious living hope. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. Write it down. Let hope arise knowing we have the friend of friends. The friend of friends psychologists tell us that the most basic fear for all of us is the fear of abandonment. The fear of abandonment. The fear of being left all alone. Some are worried that they won't have any friends. Some are worried that they won't be accepted by others. Some are worried that they won't be popular at school. Some are worried that they'll never, ever experience real love. And that the future means being all alone. I don't know where she's at this morning. This is what happens when you're not in church. If you are here, then lift up your hand because we're happy for you. I got a gal that usually sits in the same pew as the Hayes right here or just behind them and a good looking uh, dark haired 80 years young gal by the name of Margaret never ever before married and next month she's getting hitched to a man here in our church hallelujah never say never Never say never. Friends might leave you. Others might hurt you. Even the one who promised you a forever love on the wedding altar might divorce you and desert you and abandon you. But there is one who was forsaken so that you might be accepted. He was made poor so that you might be made rich. He was made dead so that you might enjoy real life. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Paul asked the question, 
Who or what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Uh, neither nakedness, peril, famine, or sword, neither height nor depth, neither angel or demon, neither things present or things to come. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! He's a friend who sticks closer than any brother. There it is. Mark it down. The Lord wants you to let... Faith arise concerning your needs. Concerning your need. Are you, con are you despairing over your finances? Do you fear you're not going to have enough money to provide for your family, to pay the bills? College educations? I'm there right now. Oh my. It's tight. I know. Are you worried about retirement? Stop listening to the world's advice. I get, so, I get so tired of hearing on the radio and TV, buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. In an uncertain world, the only security is gold. Now it's silver. Then next week it's gold. Have you heard China's bought the biggest vault in the world? It's amassing gold. What do you have in your wallet? Five times, five times, five times, five times. Say it with me. Five times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't worry, be happy. Well, I added the be happy part. But he says, don't worry, five times. And he's talking about money. He's talking about things. He says, look at the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. My Father takes care of those things. They don't fret. They don't worry. And neither should you because you're worth more to my Father than flowers or birds. Check me out. Then Jesus goes on to say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added unto you. But put God first. Put God first. Listen, your hope and my hope is not gold or silver, but in the one who said, All the gold is mine and all the silver is mine. Our hope is in the one who said, I own the cattle on the thousand hills. Our hope is in one who said, I give you the power to get wealth. Our hope is in one who said, I will make you the head and not the tail. Amen. Our hope is in one who said, I will provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. There it is. The Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. What would you say to a, a, a farmer that this spring was standing in the middle of his field and he's praying, oh God, oh God, send me a big harvest. Send me a big harvest. And he's there in April. He's there in May. He's there in June. He's still praying. He's still hoping for a big harvest. What would you say to him? Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, farmer. You've got to do more than passive hope. You have to move into active hope. You've got to plant some seed in order to enjoy a harvest. Now, if you want corn, what kind of seed do you need to plant? You sure? Not tomato. Huh? Not artichoke. Not wheat. Not watermelon. You sure you plant corn seed to get corn. Are we all sure on that? Then why don't we practice it? 
A timeless principle throughout the entire Bible, cover to cover, is the seed faith principle. All of creation is based on the seed faith principle. All of life, plant, animal, human life begins as a seed. Even death and life is bound up in the seed faith principle. Paul says that this body that you're wearing right now is nothing but an ugly seed compared to the beautiful flower that will blossom in all of eternity. That's what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15. And the seed faith principle abides and explains our finances. Paul goes on to describe our finances in Galatians chapter 6 and says, you will reap what you sow. Now you just told me that if you want corn, you need to plant corn seed. If you want help with your finances, number one, number one is not the stock market. Number one is not a savings plan. Number one is tithing and missions giving. Because you reap what you sow. And the more you sow, the more you reap. In 1940, Perry Hayden, a Christian farmer, did an experiment. He took one penny, one penny, say that word with me, one penny of wheat. That's one cubic inch of wheat, 365 kernels, and planted it on a four-by-eight plot of ground. Four-by-eight plot of ground. One penny's worth of wheat. He wanted to prove the seed faith principle, the law of giving, the law of harvest. His plan was this. Every year, harvest the grain. First of all, tithe on it. And then plant the increase. He did this. I won't, long story short, the plots of ground got so large in the sixth year, Henry Ford, check me out on this, Henry Ford got so interested in the experiment, he donated land in Tecumseh, Michigan. He donated the wheat combines to harvest the grain. In the sixth year, that would be the last year that he would harvest because the Bible says in the seventh year, the land is to rest. In the sixth year, after six years of tithing each year and harvesting each year, when they sold the grain in the sixth year, the one cubic inch, the one penny's worth of 365 kernels had become a $100,000 harvest because that's the law of the harvest. It's the seed faith principle. If you want corn, then plant corn seed. If you want God to supply financial miracles, start planting seed Stop being need-oriented and start being seed-oriented. This is hope in action. And watch what God will do. And many of you are a testimony of this principle because He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is His. The gold is His. Write it down. When we let hope arise, we're able to face the future with faith instead of fear. We're able to face the future with faith instead of fear. Man, you just turn on the news this morning and it is shocking. What did they announce first thing this morning? What One of our Navy SEALs, one of our great military vets who went over to help 
in aid and assistance in Syria and medical relief was captured by ISIS and, and decapitated. Along with hundreds and hundreds of Syrian soldiers that were captured and decapitated. And ISIS is saying they're going to do the same thing here in America. That's, I'm taking that right from the news this morning. Ebola. We have another patient brought to the U.S. with Ebola. The Russians. Did you heard the latest news on the Russians? They just discovered yesterday, it came out in the news yesterday, that the Russians, the Pentagon has discovered, has far more tactical nukes than we ever thought possible. Far more superior to ours. And just this past week, they've started flights over the Gulf of Mexico for the first time in decades. And I could go on and on and on. The moral meltdown, uh, health care, Worries. I mean, fear of the unknown is driving people as never before to consult their horoscopes, their astrologer, their palm reader, their Ouija board. And I want to scream at them, throw that garbage down. Open the Word of God. God's Word tells us when, how, why, when, and where God is going to come back and take control of the planet. Think of it. Think of it. Think of the prophecies being fulfilled in our generation. We're the generation that's seen the rebirth of Israel, the recapture of Jerusalem in our lifetime, the first time in 2,500 years for Jerusalem. We're the generation seeing mass lawlessness as America produces more serial killers than any nation in all history. We are the generation that's seen the resurrection of Sodom and Gomorrah. We are the generation seeing an accelerated rate of change in not Knowledge and transportation, just as the Bible prophesies, soon knowledge will be doubling every eight hours, they tell us. As we move into a hyper-internet syndrome, we are the generation that is seeing technology for the first time in all human history have the feasibility to host a one-world economic system, a cashless society. I'm talking about the mark of the beast, 666. We are the generation seeing unprecedented famine. We are the generation seeing unprecedented earthquakes and disease. We're the generation that's seen for the first time Jesus being preached, the gospel being preached to all the world. And what does the prophecy say? And this gospel shall be preached as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. We are the generation that is the first generation to see the nations, the key players of Armageddon, as the Bible prophesies. We're seeing the Armageddon alignment, China, Russia, the Arab nations, Israel, they're all set in place. What you're seeing in the Middle East right now is nothing but the precursor to Armageddon. I am convinced of that. But this is not a time for despair. This is a time to lift up your heads. <laughs> because Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. Let hope arise because your redemption, your redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
My Bible and your Bible says in the twilight zone of Armageddon, when all seems lost and hopeless, and the Bible says, Jesus said, uh, if it wasn't cut short, there would be nothing left alive. In the twilight zone of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, John the Revelator said, I saw the heavens opened, <laughs> and I saw him who sat upon a white horse, and upon his head were many crowns, and his eyes blazed as coal of fire and he had a name <laughs> king of kings and lord of lords and he's going to walk into the united nations and he's going to declare i'm in charge now hallelujah what a day that will be when our jesus we shall see lastly what is it that drives more people into hopelessness and despair more than anything else what fear what fear? Write it down. Let hope arise in the face of the greatest enemy of all. Death. 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 The statistics are quite impressive. One out of one people die. The one absolute certainty of life Death. Death. The report came to Jairus and Jesus. The daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus any longer. Jesus looked at Jairus and said, Don't be afraid. Only believe. He's saying that to you right now. I don't know what it is that's wanting to rob you of your hope, but Jesus would say to you, Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Only believe. Believe. They went back home to Jairus' place. Jesus looked at that little girl lying there dead, and he said, Talitha kumai, little lamb, arise. And she arose from the dead. It was a miracle. Why? Because the Lord of life was there. The Lord of life was there. Christian, there's no fear. When you have a living hope. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I get that, Pastor, but it's what comes after death that I'm worried about. Jesus has got that one covered too. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You trust in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I will come again. But pastor, how, how can I know that Jesus will keep His promise? Best way I can describe it, it's 1989, Armenia. Do you remember the, the Armenian earthquake of 1989? In four minutes, four minutes, just four minutes, 30,000 people lost their lives. The nation became flat as a pancake. Buildings everywhere crumbled. And one father went racing to an elementary school 
where his little boy was going to class. Why? The other parents were already there encircling the flattened school and they were already giving the Armenian death wail. They were already screaming, they're dead, they're dead, they're gone. Not this father. He ran into the center of the rubble about where his son's classroom was and began digging frantically. He said, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Can't you see they're dead? It's hopeless. He turned around to the parents and he said, listen, I made a promise to my son. Every day that he went to school, I told him, no matter what happens, I promise daddy will always be there. Twelve hours later, the police came and tried to urge him away. They thought he had lost his mind. They said, it's hopeless. He kept digging. His hands are now bloody. Thirty-two hours into it, no equipment, no tools. His hands had become numb, but he kept keep digging. He kept digging. Thirty-six hours, the report says. He moved a boulder away, and he thought he heard some sounds. He said, Armand, Armand, my son, is that you? And a voice came out of the darkness, Daddy, Daddy, I'm here. I told everybody else it'll be okay because my daddy keeps his promises. My daddy will be here. And the whole class was rescued because one dad kept hoping. One dad kept hoping. And one dad kept his promise. There's coming a day. You might be walking in your family room. You might be walking at work. You might be walking down the hallway at school. It might be morning. It might be noon. It might be evening. All I know it's going to be soon. And the eastern skies will unzip. And Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. The trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up to be with the Lord forever and evermore. Therefore, encourage one another with this blessed hope, the Bible says. It's called the blessed hope. Well, pastor, how do you know that Jesus will keep His promise? Because He's already done it once before. The stone's been rolled away. He's alive forevermore. And because He lives, you and I will really live. Amen? <laughs> He's coming back. He's coming back. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. Stand with me this morning. Praise the Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus. 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 Lord, we speak. We speak the power and the presence of Your Holy Spirit here in this place. Lord, You are here to heal. You are here to deliver. You are here to restore. You are here, O oh God, to change. You are here to provide. And most of all, Lord, you are here to save. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, and there's no looking around in the privacy, the sacredness of this moment, I'm prepared to pray a very important, a very special prayer. 
I'm, a, I'm about to pray the prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that will make you right with God. It's a prayer that will give you a home in heaven. If you would like, if you want, if you desire to be made right with God, if you desire to have a home in heaven, if you would like to be a part of this prayer, then demonstrate your faith right now. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, demonstrate your faith by just lifting up your hand. Just lift up your hand right now if you want to be included in this prayer that I'm about to pray. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. How many more? Lift them up. Lift them up to Jesus. Yes, up on the balcony. God bless you. Yes, up on the balcony. God bless you. How many more? Keep lifting them up to Jesus. Yes, God bless you. Amen. 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 Seven hands lifted up for Jesus. How many more? How many more? I don't want to leave anyone out. Pastor, include me in that prayer. I believe. <laughs> Lord, I, I want a living hope. I want to be made right with God. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Everyone pray this prayer with me out loud. Especially you that have lifted up your hands. Make this prayer your prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. Just as I am. I confess I've sinned. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I need that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus for hearing me, for cleansing me, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. I believe it. I receive it. Amen. You may put those hands down. Let's give the glory to Jesus. Seven, seven, seven that I could count. Hallelujah!